So you guys turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're looking at the sixth letter of the seven churches. A familiar name in which it gets its name or is called the city of brotherly love. The church of Philadelphia. And so in chapter 3, starting in verse 7, here's the letter written to the church of Philadelphia. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep from you the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 11. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray together. God, we want to thank you again so much for this opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to open it, to study it. And God, right now I just pray that you would come and you would walk among us. That your spirit would rain down over this place. That God, you would speak through me. God, your word would penetrate our hearts in a fresh new way. Father, help us as we're studying the church. The call to the church. God, help us strive to be the church that you've called us to be. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we've done every week leading up to this week, we review, we go back and we, we look at the cliff notes or a brief one-sentence summary from each church. And so this morning before we jump into the Church of Philadelphia, I want to do that to make sure that we're refreshed and we're reminded of these seven churches. We know that it's in Asia Minor, right? We know that John is on the island of Patmos, just off the coast of Ephesus. And he is writing these letters under the direction. The words that are given to him are given to him by no one else other than Jesus Christ himself. We know that John is there uh, in prison for being a believer. Some commentaries say that each church, each of the seven churches sent a leader, maybe a, a deacon or uh, a pastor or a layman 
from each church. And, and some suggest that they even traveled together over to the island of Patmos to receive these letters to be taken back to each individual church. And so if you look at the map in Asia Minor going from Ephesus all the way over to Laodicea, it, it's almost like a mountain. It's almost like a mountain. You go up and then you start descending back down. And so we're on that decline. And if that is the case, then we're down to the last two messengers of the churches. And so the first church we know we had Ephesus. And Ephesus thought that they had it all together. From the outside looking in, it looked like everything was picture perfect. But Jesus calls to their attention the the simple fact that though they were doing everything right, they had walked away from their first love. Therefore, everything they were doing, they were doing meant nothing. Then the second week we had Smyrna. And Smyrna was the exact opposite. From the outside looking in, they looked very poor. They looked very ineffective. But Jesus said, you know what, actually, you're rich. You're rich because of my sake. And then we had Pergamos in week three, and this church is the letters that that begin the, the compromise series, if you will. We saw that Pergamos thought that they could somehow compromise their faith by being associated somewhat with the world, but yet hanging on to their faith. And they begin this, this horrible spiral decline into this lifestyle of compromise. And Jesus tells them, you better be careful. You better watch out. I'm coming soon. You better repent. And then in week four, we had Thyatira. And some commentary said that if Pergamos was, was engaging in compromise, that Thyatira was celebrating anniversaries with compromise. They were so unidentified uh, as a church that the world did not see them as a church. And then in week five, we saw Sardis. And this was a church that simply, last week as we talked, they had simply started to sit on their hands. They had put the ship in neutral and began to cruise. They had reached that point in the life of the church. Maybe it was because of age. Maybe it was because of a desire or passion or purpose or whatever it might have been. Regardless, they had reached a place where they said, you know what, we've done enough. We've done enough. And I told you last week, if we ever reach a place in our lives, whether we're 14 or we're 84, where we think we've done enough, we've missed the boat. We've missed the mark. Because I don't think in the life of a church that anyone, regardless of age, ever reaches a point where you can say, I've done enough, I've done my share. It's time for somebody else to step in. Now I'm not saying we beat a dead horse as a church. There are some people that can end in one phase of ministry and jump right into another. And that's okay. But to simply say, you know what, I've served the church long enough, I've served God long enough, I'm simply just going to sit on my hands and ride it out. You've missed the point. And yet, that's where Sardis as a church was. Now hopefully as we've looked 
in all five of these churches today, we're looking at the sixth church. In some way, shape, or form, we've seen a picture of what the church shouldn't look like and a picture of what this church should look like. And hopefully in your life personally, as you've taken an inward look at your own life, maybe you've seen some things that you need to work on. I know I've seen some things that I need to work on. Because let's be honest. Until you have a week where your spouse is gone, you think you have it all together. Like you've got it pretty figured out. And your spouse leaves for school for a week. And then you really don't have it together. We all have things that we can work on. We all have areas in our lives that could be strengthened. And even today, I want to throw this disclaimer out there real quick before we jump into the Church of Philadelphia. Listen to me. This church, I'm not saying this church is a perfect church. I'm not saying that this church has arrived, and that's not at all what Jesus is saying to this church. Have you ever had those moments in your life where... Things were going pretty good. They were going okay. They weren't bad, but they weren't great. They were going okay. And and just that that simple act of kindness. Maybe someone paid for your meal. Or maybe someone made made a simple phone call or sent a, a simple email to say, Hey, I love you. I'm praying for you. You know, just those random acts of kindness. I think as I've studied the church of Philadelphia, there's no condemnation here. Like Jesus is not calling them out for something they haven't done. He's not saying you better repent and turn from your wicked ways. But he's simply saying you're on the right path. You're doing the right things. And this word, this letter is just an encouragement to continue doing those things. By no means are they the perfect church. But they were doing some things right. I find it fascinating as you read these seven letters to the seven churches, only two are alike in that Jesus is encouraging them. And that's Smyrna and the church of Philadelphia. They're not perfect churches, but he simply says, keep fighting the fight. Keep doing what you know to be right. It's interesting too as you study the seven churches that this letter, the introduction to this letter is a little bit different than the other six. Because in the other six, as he describes his nature, his character in the introduction of each letter, he refers back or references back to Revelation chapter 1. To tell them about his nature and his character. Well, in this one, he doesn't do that. He simply tells them, these are the words of him who is holy and true. Who holds the key of David. Interesting. Interesting. The one who is holy and true and holds the key of David. He describes himself as holy. You know what? That that word holy... That term holiness can can be attributed to no one other than God himself. That is it. That is it. 
There is no one or nothing that can be holy other than God Himself. And Jesus is simply saying that I share the holiness with God, that sinless, pure nature of God. That's who I am. And He's identifying Himself as the Holy One. Then He says, the one who is true. The one who is true. Hey, Jesus is truth. Like He is the very definition of truth. He's the author, the creator of truth. And, and I think as I've studied this and I've read this, I think that, that maybe He's identifying Himself with this church in this way to just simply say, hey, I want to encourage you. Because you're pursuing as a church, you're pursuing holiness. You're pursuing truth as a church. And I can identify with that. As I'm observing, as I'm looking at your church, I can identify with holiness and truth because I am holiness and truth. But then he throws a little Old Testament reference in there by saying the one who holds the key of David. You know, in the Old Testament, the key, a key, was the sign of authority or control. And Jesus is simply saying here, hey, I'm the one that holds that key. I'm the one that holds that key. No one can open the door but me. No one can close the door that I've opened but me. You know, I could tell over the past couple of weeks, and, and even in preparing, man, I'm sitting there going, gosh, this is such a discouraging letter. Like as a church, this is discouraging. And, and, and maybe some are thinking, well, gosh, that's, that's really who God is? That's really who Jesus is? That seems kind of judgmental. But Jesus' approach here, in all of His letters, we have to understand who God is and what His expectations are. And the fact that, that God demands, He requires His church to be holy and true. There's no getting around that. There's no plan B when it comes to pursuing the church that God has called the church to be. He has called the church to be holy and true. And here he simply says, look, I'm the one that holds that key. I'm the one that holds that key. Pursue me. I'm the one that holds that key. Well, then he goes into his, the encouragement part of his letter, the people we've talked about, the place, the people, the problem, the promise. Well, this morning we have no problem, but we'll start at the place like we normally do in verse 7. We know that that place is Philadelphia. It's about 30 miles south of Sardis. And I found, I did a little research, and I just want to read a couple of things to you about the city of Sardis. It was actually founded by a man who founded Pergamos, a lattice. It was rich in agriculture. But here was the issue with the city of Philadelphia. 
it sat on a very, very active volcanic line. It actually stood on a hill. It was on a mountainside overlooking a long valley. But it had been destroyed time after time after time by earthquakes and was rebuilt a number of times because of those earthquakes. Earthquakes happened, aftershocks happened, happened so often that the people there feared every single day when it was going to happen again. But it was located on a trade route. Thousands of people would come through the city of Philadelphia running errands. The mail during that time would go through the city of Philadelphia. Today it's known as the city of Alshur. But I want you to understand something. It was a very busy city. And as I studied this, I thought about, as, as we like to go to the mountains a lot of time, and, and we like to go over the mountain. If any of you have ever, I don't know, the parkway deal, it's closed half the time. But if you go to the very top, people stop and they want to overlook and they want to sightsee at the very peak of the mountain before you start going down towards Gatlinburg. That's the way I kind of viewed Philadelphia. Thousands of people were going in and out of this city, traveling through this city on a daily basis. That's the reason why Jesus throws the reference into, I'll hold the key of David. And we're going to get to that in just a second. But here's the people in the promise. As we look in verse 8, he says, I know your deeds. See, I placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Again, we've seen that. I know your deeds, right? We've seen that before in these letters. That simply just tells us there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can say. There's nothing that we can think that God doesn't see. And Jesus is simply telling them, I know your deeds. I see you every day. I see your acts. I see your thoughts. I see your intentions every single day. And then he says this, I see, see that I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. How much different would our lives be if we truly lived that promise out? And Jesus is telling this church right here, see, I've, I've opened a door for you that no one can shut. And, and I want to I tie that to the location real quick, okay? Just told you about their, the, the city itself and, and, and the fact that they were in a very busy city. A lot of tourists traveled through there. Think about that for a second. Think about the, the incredible impact that this city could have on visitors. On the thousands of people that travel through. And Jesus is simply saying, look at where you are. Hey, I think we need to call that to our attention as a church. We need to look at where we're at. Because so often we want to look and we want to look in a negative way and say, well, you know what, this is just little bitty old Westminster. There's no potential. There's no point. It's not what I'm reading here. It doesn't matter if you have a population of 16,000 
or you have a population of 600. I think this is encouragement to this church to simply say, you know what, look at where you're at. Look at your surroundings. Look at how you've been blessed already. You know, we tend to forget that a lot of times. We tend to not see that a lot of times. You know, often in our lives, we're standing right in front of the open door. And because of our lack of faith, we fail to see the open door. We fail to simply see the open door when, it's stand, when we're standing right in the doorway. And, and that's Jesus' encouragement to them is, look, this door's been opened and guess what? No one's going to shut it. No one can shut it. Because I hold the keys. He goes on to say, I know that you have little strength. Now, I had to think about that for a little bit. Because I thought, okay, this is an encouraging word to this church. Are they weary? Have they been tested? Have they been tried? Well, yeah, we know that because later on it says that he's going to make those who are the synagogue of Satan, he's going to make them bow down to them eventually. And, and we're going to get to that in just a second because there's, there's something about that. But I also want you to look at it this way too. This perhaps could have been a very small church with a lot of influence, with a lot of power. And so, yeah, they were in a chaotic world. There was a lot of uh, cults and a lot of other religions going on during this time in this city. And so, yes, they were being persecuted. They were being tried for their faith. But Jesus says, I know that you have little strength. But yet you're a powerful church because I hold the keys. Yet you have kept my word and not denied my name. Let me tell you something, church. Doesn't matter how big this church or any church ever gets. If we forget those two things, we've forgotten it all. We've got to keep his word and we've got to stand on what we know is true. And that's what he says at the very beginning that I'm holy. I'm truth. And he tells the church, listen, you've kept my word. You stayed true to my name. Even in the midst of everything going on around you, even in the trials that you faced, the possibilities of, of losing jobs, of losing families, of losing your life, guess what? You've held true to my name. You've kept my word. Listen, we can build a thousand buildings. We can spend millions of dollars. But if we don't hold true to these two things, it means absolutely nothing. So I don't want to get hung up on how big or how small this church was. It doesn't really matter.
Jesus knows. And he says, I I see your deeds. I know you have little strength. But you've kept my word and you've stayed true to my name. That's what means the most. That's what means the most. Watch what he says in verse 9 though. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I'll make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. Wow. Wow. Think about that for a second. I know what you're thinking. And here was the first thought that came to my mind is retaliation. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. You see, in our lives, every single day as we go through lives, our lives, and we go through the things that we go through, and even when people wrong us, even when people do things that we don't like that might hurt us, there's never any room for retaliation. And Jesus is simply reminding them right here that, listen, you need to understand something. There is evil out there. There are people out there that want to hurt you. They want to harm you. But know something. Know this. I have the last say. I have the last word. And when it's all said and done, they're going to answer to me. Church, we we need to hang on to that. We need to remember that. When we feel like we've been wronged as a church, we need to remember that. It's not about us. It's not about us giving the last word. Y'all know people like that, right? I know people like that. They will not shut up. They have to have the last word. But Jesus says it doesn't matter how bad you're persecuted, how much it hurts, I'm going to get the last word. Just hang on. I'm going to get the last word. It wasn't about pride. It wasn't about the Church of Philadelphia flying a banner called the Church of Philadelphia. It was not about that at all. It was simply about understanding that Jesus Christ, when He comes back to get His children, He will have the last word. How did this church... I stopped there as I was studying and I thought, how was... Even in the midst of all this chaos and the seven letters to the seven churches, you've got these two churches out of all seven that, that Jesus is, is saying, keep the faith, keep fighting. You, 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 you have... I mean, your church, you have people, you have humans, you're going to have issues. But there's nothing major going on here. How did they do it? And I thought back to Acts chapter 2. And I want to go there real quick and read a couple of verses in Acts chapter 2. When people talk about the true church, this should be what they're talking about. Acts chapter 2 verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything 
in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And watch this. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the picture of the true church. And I thought about doing this this morning. I thought about walking around with a mic and having just a couple of people say, if, if, if Jesus were to write a letter to this church today, what would he say? What would be in that letter? Be curious to know what your thoughts would be on that. He goes on and says, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 11, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have. You know, it's so easy to get caught up in day-to-day life that we forget in a moment's notice our life could be gone. In a moment's notice our life could be gone. Jesus could be coming back tomorrow. He could be coming back today. We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know, because He tells us right here, that if we endure patiently, that we're called to endure patiently, that He's going to keep us from the trial that's going to come on the whole world, that tribulation time. Hey, Christ is coming back for His church. I believe that. It's biblical. He's coming back for His church. And He just simply says, you know what? I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Listen, there's a lot of things in this world. There's a lot of things in this life worth fighting for. But there's one thing worth fighting for more than anything else. And that's my faith. That's the faith that I have in Jesus Christ. That's worth fighting for. And He tells us right here, He's coming back, but hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. You know what? There are people out there. There are people out there that want to take that away. Listen, if you don't believe that Satan's not active, you're living yourself a lie. Because he is. And he simply wants to use other people and other objects and other things in this world to take the joy that you have in your life out. And Jesus simply says, you better hold on to what you have. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. There are things out there that want to take your crown. They want to take your joy. They want to take that peace away. And He gives them this promise. He says, The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. 
Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. I thought about that, a pillar. A pillar in the temple of my God. What is a pillar? Listen, without pillars, a building doesn't stand. So pillars are important, right? Right? What is Jesus saying there? The one who is victorious, I will make them a pillar in the temple of my God. That we're important enough because we're the body of Christ. We are the church. We're pillars. For His name's sake, we're to hold on. We're to hold on to what we have. He is the foundation of who we are. And we are the pillars of that building. And even though there's a lot of chaos and a lot of hostility and a lot of danger out there, we've already been given victory. That door's already been opened. All we have to do is walk through it. All we have to do is walk through it. But so often we get right up there to that open door and we fear what's on the other side. And because of that fear, we step back. And we fail to walk through. You know what? The church of Philadelphia, Jesus continues to remind them, I've opened the door. No one can shut it but me. Walk through. Walk through. I think we're seeing doors open every day, every week here at First Baptist. And listen, we can't have 25 walk through and 75 stay out. We have to have everybody walk through. Everybody has to walk through if we want true victory. If we want to be the church that God's called us to be, We've got to walk through. You look at the church of Philadelphia. They were a faithful church. And I think if you go back and you look at Acts chapter 2, they were that church. A growing church. A church that enjoyed one another's fellowship. Did y'all catch that? that? That they had everything in common with one another? I mean... Honestly, how uncommon is that? That they had everything in common with one another. They enjoyed one another's company, one another's fellowship. They ate together. They broke bread daily in their homes together. They prayed together. In the very last part of verse 47, it said that God added to their numbers daily those that were being saved. Listen. A true faithful church 
We'll see salvation. We'll see growth. But I think they'll see that through the desire of its people, the church, and prayer, and fellowship, and discipleship. Listen, Jesus gives us this promise in Revelation chapter 3 that we are going to be victorious. Listen, there are people out there living their lives every single day. There might be some in this building right now that live their life, that are living their lives thinking that they're already victorious without Christ. And let me tell you, you can't be. You can live that lie if you want to, but there's no victory. There's no victory without Jesus Christ. And listen, you, you've might, you might have run through life, running through every single door thinking that it was open. And found that that wasn't a door that God opened. But maybe you simply opened it yourself. So we do that. We do that. Listen, I don't know any other way to share the gospel than this. God thought enough of you and me to send His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. That when we did not deserve life, we were given life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's because of that sacrifice that when I was 17 years old and I had no joy and I had no peace in my life, I found Jesus. And I realized what true joy and true peace was all about. And guess what? It wasn't in material things. It wasn't in cars. It wasn't in trucks. It wasn't in sports. It wasn't in girls. And all along, that's what I thought true joy and peace really was. And then God wrecked my world and showed me what true joy and peace was. And that was understanding, fully understanding who Jesus Christ really is. And the fact that even in my sins, He still loved me. And all He wanted me to do was give my life to Him. And life's never the same. Listen, there should never be a time of commitment. A time where this altar is open, where this altar is not filled. Should never happen. Should never happen. Listen, you saw last week, guys, last week, that God is still in the saving business. And I'm not talking about just in salvation. I'm talking about in various other ways. You are never too far gone. You have never done something too bad or, or so bad that God doesn't love you. Yes, He does. Doesn't matter where you're at in your life. Doesn't matter how far you've ventured out. He still loves you. He still loves you. You'll never outrun His love. You can try, but you'll never outrun it. I'm so thankful for a church like Philadelphia that was faithful. It was faithful. 
It was never about the Church of Philadelphia. It was about following the call that God placed on their lives, the life of the church. And God blessed them. Church, that's what God's called us to do. That we pursue the things that He would have us pursue. That we not fly the banner of First Baptist, but we fly His banner. And allow Him to be exalted. That's what it's all about. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that lies within it, God. For the encouragement that we have through the Church of Philadelphia. God, right now I ask as a church, as a staff member of this church, God, that you would give us clear vision, clear understanding of who you have called each and every one of us to be. And through that, God, we as a church, corporately, we understand who you've called us to be. God, move us out of the way when it comes to decisions, when it comes to the future and the vision. God, you've already set that out before us in your word. All you've done is ask us to follow it, to see it through. God, help us to be like a church like Philadelphia, to be faithful, to be true, to be holy. Right now, God, I pray that you would speak to hearts. Father, if someone here does not know Jesus, God, they need to know Jesus. I pray that you wouldn't let them leave this place this morning without nailing down that commitment. God, for everything else that's going on in our lives, there's no better place to lay it down than to lay it down right here at this altar, at the foot of the cross. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would fill this place, God, that you would fill this altar with broken hearts, burdens. And your people, God, that want to see you do amazing things, in this city. We love you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.